Today on Podcast by the Bay, current Foster City Councilwoman, Catherine Mahanpour. Fortunately or unfortunately, you can look at it as we have traffic in the Bay Area because the economy is good. People are working. The economy is good. So it's a regional problem that we've been trying to work on, uh, but it's it's not being resolved. And I I agree with you that commuter lanes or the the managed lanes, the pay lanes where you you can pay to get on them, doesn't really resolve the problem. Discussing her vision on many of the local foster city issues, and her role as a foster city councilwoman. No, I just I just want to say that I I take my job very seriously, and. My responsibility is to the people and Foster City, and I am. All my decisions are made with that in mind, and I do talk to a lot of people, go to a lot of meetings, and hear a lot of a lot of good information. And people have good ideas; you just have to listen to them. And also, Patrick has a big announcement. Clear message that uh, the voters gave me last time is, is that I needed to gain some more support. It was our best turnout that we ever had in my running for election. But as a good citizen, I felt that I couldn't give up. All coming up on today's episode of Podcast by the Bay. Stay tuned. Podcast by the Bay is brought to you by Highway Soul Productions. Check us out at highwaysoul.com and in conjunction with Liberty Realty. Liberty Realty, serving the peninsula and surrounding areas since 1986 for all your real estate needs www.liberty-realtyinvestments.com Remember to subscribe and download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. You can contact Podcast by the Bay by their email at podcastbythebay at gmail.com And now, another Podcast by the Bay. Okay, welcome to Podcast by the Bay. This is Andre. And this is Patrick. And welcome to another rendition of Podcast by the Bay. And we thank you for being with us. We thank you for downloading the show. And we thank you for spreading the word to all your friends. And so today, we actually have a very special show. And we're going to get back to some of our local Foster City coverage. And we're going to feature Councilwoman Catherine Mahanpour. And that's the Foster City Councilwoman Catherine, who, uh, who's on the current Foster City Council. And so we're actually excited to speak with Catherine because... Uh, I think she's somebody that actually has some good views, and we actually want to hear her perspective. And we hope our listeners will actually enjoy hearing some of her, her, her perspective as well on some of the issues that are pertaining here in Foster City. So, Patrick, you got to meet Catherine. You spoke with her. You've known her for a while. Can you give us a little bit of background about Catherine and a little bit of background about your interview? Yeah, uh, thank you, Andre. Uh, Catherine was elected on November 3rd, 2015, to serve a four-year period in the city council. Catherine has worked in various industries in Maine and in California for over 40 years. She's a licensed attorney. Uh, She's currently working as a business and legal consultant. Her practice is primarily consisted of litigation support, environmental and corporate lawyers. Catherine is uh, an adjunct professor at an appellate advocacy at Golden Gate University uh, School of Law in San Francisco. 
She is a court-appointed special advocate for foster children in San Mateo County and is a member of the advisory of the California State University East Bay Paralegal Program. Her public service commitments include co- and co-chair of Citizen Advisory Committee of Alameda County Transit Improvement. Uh, Catherine also serves as a judge for the Tri-Valley Youth Court Program in Pleasanton. She supports uh, Bay Area causes such as Diabetic Youth Foundation and Freedom House. Catherine earned her JD in California and her political science and business degree in Maine. She's married and as a, as a son, DJ, and three grandchildren. She currently lives in Foster City in her home. Uh, she lived in uh, California for approximately 24 years. Uh, Catherine was energetic. Um, I've had an observation to be able to watch her on the city council. She's been on the council for three years. Uh, she's definitely an advocate for the people. She doesn't necessarily is, uh, goes along always with the council. I admire her, and uh, she is definitely a dedicated public servant. Some of the pivotal things is is that um, on the levy situation, she was in support of the levy, um, um, but she also wanted to see if some of the if the uh, some of the equity that the city had that they could lower the bond from the ninety million to the seventy million. Her and Vice Mayor Gary Pollard, who also sits on the council, uh, fought hard to to see if they could lower that uh, that bond a little bit. They were asking for twenty million. They backed down to ten million, but unfortunately, they were not successful. But this talks about her being a maverick. Uh, we've got other projects coming up that they're going to be voting on the Saris Regis project, and I don't want to interfere with that. But she stands for the people. She's concerned about the environment. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean she always has the votes. Um, I have a a lot of deep respect for Catherine. As some of you know, I did run against Catherine, or Catherine and I ran against each other in 2015. But I am proud to say that I like her on the council and that she's doing a great job. And uh, I look forward to seeing her uh, serve out her her term on council, and maybe she's going to run again. So with that, uh, Andre, did you have any more questions about Catherine? Well, yes, uh, I do have a couple questions. I, I think uh, it's actually going to be exciting to hear from Catherine because I think she brings a, a definitely a kind of a different perspective. So I'm, I think we're all excited here. And one of the things I just want to note to all the listeners is actually today is August 9th. And we recorded this interview back on July 26th, I believe it was, with Catherine. And so one of the things, Patrick, I think you have an announcement to make. I think we have some sort of announcement to make here on Podcast by the Bay. So what do you want to say to the people, Patrick? Well, uh, thanks, Andre, for the clarification. Prior to uh, or after my interview with Catherine, with much, much thought um, and encouragement, um, I decided to take out papers which I uh, to run for city council in Foster City. Um, and I was very humbled and honored by a lot of my constituents or people that supported me in the past that they think that this is now my time to run. Uh, I'm excited. As you know, I've been engaged with the Foster City uh, Council ever since um, the day one when I moved in here and I was on the park and rec. But for the last three years since the election, I'm still there fighting for the people. I was there uh, talking about the Saris Regis project, talking about the levy, uh, talking about the rec center. So I've been there. Um, I probably have attended about 80% of the council meetings in the last last three years. To, to say that I would be running for council again, I'm, I'm just astounded. But uh, the clear message that uh, the voters gave me last time is, is that I needed to gain some more support. It was our best turnout that we ever had in my running for election. 
But as a good citizen, I felt that I couldn't give up. I needed to make contributions. As you know, I, I, I'm really a good collaborator, and a good listener, and, I, and I'm really anxious to serve Foster City because in the, in the next four years, we're going to have some major issues. And again, I'm going to be signing off on interviewing anything issue on Podcast by the Bay. And I look forward to getting your support um, to any of my listeners out there. And I encourage you to go to my website, uh, PatrickSullivanFosterCity.com. And uh, I look forward to serving. And again, I'm going to be bowing out of interviewing on any issues with Podcast by the Bay with Foster City. Thanks, Andre. Well, we want to say congratulations, first of all, on your decision to actually uh, run for city council. I think that's an honorable uh, decision, and uh, a number of people have pointed out it's it's something that um, some good things, and, and there's a lot of actually opportunities there. So, and I think uh, so. As Patrick said, uh, Patrick will not be uh, interviewing or really um, dealing with the issues on the Foster City local. Uh, issues while he's on the campaign and I'll be actually taking over those kind of hosting duties and we actually do look forward to interviewing all the candidates and really actually featuring everyone on uh, some upcoming episodes of podcast by the bay for the upcoming uh, Foster City City Council election coming up so with that Patrick we're going to go ahead and get to the Catherine interview and uh, we're definitely excited about your announcement and uh, you know We'll be uh, sad that we won't get to discuss all the same issues on the same context, but that doesn't mean we can't talk to the other mayors, and that doesn't mean we can't talk about other issues that are here local and on the state, and we'll look forward to talking about all the other issues that are happening here in the local regional area and uh, you know, with you as well. And then maybe after the campaign, we'll get back to the Foster City and uh, really get down into it. So with that, we're going to go ahead and get to the Catherine interview. And so signing off, this is Andre. And this is Patrick. And we'll catch you on the next time, a podcast by the Bay. Stay tuned. We're live with Podcast by the Bay. It is July, and it's the 26th of July, and it's Thursday, and we're in Foster City. And we have the honor of interviewing a council person on the Foster City Council, Catherine Metapur. Is that the... Mahanpur. Mahanpur. Yes. Okay. Welcome to Podcast by the Bay. Thank you. And um, if you want to give us a little background information about yourself, I know you've been on the council almost three years. Uh, about, yeah, two and a half years, a little bit over two and a half years now. And um, because of the state mandate that we have to change our elections to 2020, um, I'm up for re-election again in 2020. Well, welcome again to Podcast by the Bay. Why don't you give the listeners, and especially uh, the good majority of our listeners are Foster City and San Mateo, give them a little background about yourself, uh, how long you've been in Foster City, and what is your uh, profession? So um, I'm an attorney by profession. Uh, I still practice law. I only have a couple of clients, um, but that's by choice because city council work takes a lot of time, and I'm very committed. So uh, most of my work is done... um, from home. Um, I do attend a lot of meetings, etc., outside uh, the home, uh, and of course with the council meetings. Um, I have been in Foster City for into, I'm in my seventh year, believe it or not. Uh, time flies when you're having fun. So, been here for about seven years, uh, been involved in uh, a lot of things like I'm a court appointed special advocate for foster children. Um, and volunteer at various other events. Um, I'm on the now I'm on the Parks and Rec committee. Uh, I also am 
an alternate on the PCE, the Peninsula Clean Energy Board. Uh, I am the vice chair of the Emergency Services um, Committee uh, or board, uh, and probably missing some other things. But. Well, as we go along, uh, we, we've been honored by podcast by the beta interview Dave Pine with the Clean Energy, so that's yeah. great. Yes. And, I, and I know he said nice things about you too. Mm -hmm. um, with the clean energy thing, that's a very important part of uh, a lot of the uh, situation here on the peninsula. As we know, we went a little further with the clean energy thing with our PG&E bill now and to, mm -hmm. to look for clean energy and mm -hmm. to buy clean energy. And it's kind of a complex thing. So I'm, I, I would encourage anybody that wants to figure out a little bit more about it, listen to my interview with Dave Pine mm -hmm. on clean energy. Um, I've had the honor uh, with Podcast by the Bay to have an observation of Catherine since the beginning or inception of being on the city council. Uh, and it's wonderful to see how she interacts with the council people and how she tries to uh, to uh, listen to all points of view. Um, not always are all points of view understood or listened to, uh, but it is a challenge. Some of the challenges that we had uh, recently, Catherine, and we and we got through it quite well was Proposition P. Mm -hmm. We at Podcast by the Bay were very honored to have interviewed uh, people that were in favor of it, people that were against it. Um, but I was quite impressed, um, as I mentioned to you, about yours and, and, and Council uh, Gary Pollard on how you guys were there fighting for an advocate, so to speak, to uh, see if we could reduce the uh, Proposition P by by a certain percentage. And I thought that was admirable that you do. And obviously, you got to go by democracy, and you, you, you weren't able to, to get that out. Tell us about your fight with that, because I think, I, I think that you did a good job. I think if I recall... You initially wanted twenty million, and then then I think you and Gary decided why not bring it to ten million. Tell us what happened. Um, well, I think I'm I'm probably the first one that asked actually for uh, uh, the accounting, the financial part of what would it cost uh, each person if we lowered it by. I I think I initially said twenty million, but then we had I I asked him to do ten million as well, the accounting to see what it looks like to see how much we would be saving. Um, it's. It was just a different way of going about. We're all in favor. Of, we were in favor of Proposition P. Uh, it was just a different way of going about getting it uh, to the voters and making sure that we could um, have a good, uh, a, a good measure going forward and making sure that the residents are taken care of. Uh, and that's that's my main my main concern is just making sure that the residents are taken care of because as a public servant, they're your constituents. So my job is to listen to them and to what they want and try to assimilate it with the information that I already have and that I know that they may, might not know and come up to the best decision for the city and for the residents. And that is my main concern. So when this, when it, it didn't, it went down you know, by a 3-2 vote, that's fine. I'm, I was still in favor of Proposition P, so we moved forward. So it was a great team effort to get Proposition P passed. It passed with flying colors and very happy about that. No, we, we congratulate you on that. I, I, I think the exercise, and I think the public have to understand sometimes that, uh, that other people on the council might not agree with you, exactly. and you don't have to agree with them. Right. But sometimes, sometimes they or mischaracterize yes. uh, somebody's position. I know it was clear to myself, and, and of course maybe I'm a little more astute because I attend more of the council meetings, that you and Gary were totally in favor of Proposition P that you were trying to bring back to the voters. 
One of the things that I kind of realized too in thinking about it, um, even if we were successful bringing it down, there's still a float in the bond that the bond still may go up because we need to do that. And that was kind of humorous to me that we, we could have given it and it probably would have come back anyway. But I, I thought the intentions were good. Um, and I'm, I'm happy to see that you guys did that. Um, and that's pure democracy. Um, as speaking for not necessarily podcast, but by the way, but speaking as a resident, I was not happy with the decor of a presentation without mentioning mm-hmm. anyone's name mm-hmm. on how you two were handled as characterized that you were not in favor of the proposition. Right. But I'm hoping most of the public see through that because yes. I think that's an important thing not to be categorized for something that you were not against, exactly. uh, that you were for. So, right. And um, I, think, I think that was clear uh, in, in any interactions that I had with the public while I was uh, more or less... I was supporting Proposition P, uh, handing out lawn signs, information, etc. And the people that I met, uh, when I talked to them and explained the situation, they were they understood it. They understand it. It just needs to be explained to them because you do have the, the negative voices out there that are trying to accuse you of of uh, doing something that you're not doing. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. I'm glad it got out the, the proper word. You know, we uh, podcast by the Bay. I've had an opportunity to interview 17 mayors, and every city council operates a little bit different on either. San Bruno is the one unique town that actually elects the mayor, mm-hmm. and it, it was uh, the story behind it was is that somebody was upset because they didn't get the rotation of the mayor, and then all of a sudden. Uh, Somebody put something on the ballot, and now it's a two-year, two-year thing. I, I interviewed Rico Medina, and uh, you know, Rico Medina uh, was very active. And I'm only going to tell you a little bit about it because it connects with me a little bit. Rico Medina was uh, went to local high school out there in in San Bruno, and he was working on a project for Stephanie Hargrove, mm-hmm. who needed a bone marrow transplant. At that time, I was in the JCs, just starting my real estate career. And I had a new president in the JCs that wanted to raise money for Stephanie Hargrove for a bone marrow transplant. So somehow we connected, and that's how he got into community service, and that's um, how he worked his way up and eventually mm-hmm. became a city council and is now the uh, two-year two-year mayor in San Bruno. Mm-hmm. Um, but I encourage you to listen to, to the interviews with the mayors because they've got a diverse background. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing that I w- was was interested in, in, in going a little bit of direction with the mayors is the, uh, I think in a, fa- in a fairness, uh, the mayor is a ceremonial thing. And I'm hoping that the rotation rotation happens um, properly. That doesn't necessarily mean, I hate to see it in the newspaper, because it doesn't look good. So what's your thing? Do you think rotation of mayor is a good thing? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, and, and I've said that, you know, when, when, in my comments. Um, when people are passed up, I just, I, everybody needs to have a chance. And I know there are, are some on the council think, that think that not everybody has that leadership capability. But my belief is if you don't give them the opportunity to show that they have a leadership ability uh, by putting them in that position, you don't know what their abilities are. Um, being Just sitting on the council doesn't show. I mean, yes, you can lead from any chair on the council. But being the mayor and having uh, control of the meeting, that's the major, the major responsibility of the mayor is to have control of the meeting. Uh, if you can do that and you can present yourself well and present the residents well and present your city well, 
that's leadership. Well, you know, I, I have had a many opportunities. Well, I've spent some time with um, Gary, and Gary's the vice mayor, and, you know, hopefully he'll become mayor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, after many interviews with him, I, I, I strongly agree with your comment because I've had a wonderful opportunity to, to understand that Gary has a lot of depth, and sometimes he's uh, not as, uh, he, he doesn't choose to be combative with, with other members on the council. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, no, I agree with that point. And, and, and even if it is a ceremonial thing, um, it, it would be in my interest and in the public's interest that we mm-hmm. don't pick on members because we think that we may be bigger or better or more successful than another person because fair play is fair play. And I think we need to do that more often. It's not, uh, what degree you have or what medal you have or what company you own. It's all about the rotation of the chair and the leadership. So I appreciate that comment on that because it was real, real important to me because um, I, I think that fairness is important. Uh, and especially if you've earned it and mm-hmm. you've, you've worked hard at it. I mean, we're all there for the purpose of the city, the betterment of the city, for the betterment of the residents. What we do, we always have that in mind. All of us do. I know we all think that way. So this it is more of a ceremonial position, the mayor. And I just I've and I've said it from the beginning, everybody deserves a chance. Let's let's talk about a project um, that that I is almost approved but not quite approved and, and it's kind of an exciting project. Um, and that's the Saris Regis project. Um, obviously it was initially zoned uh, commercial and retail mm-hmm. uh, and now it's back before went to the planning commission has been to the city council and we've had several presentations on it where they want to change the use um to um workforce housing um and regular housing um and it 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 sounds like from all the background information that i've heard of course i haven't heard everything that it sounds like it could be a real positive for the city because it could create some workforce housing um, and also some revenue for the city. Any, any thoughts on that? Um, yes, if you've been paying attention to the council meetings, I am the lone no vote so far on that project. Um, in, it, it, it's my thinking in talking with, I've talked to a lot of people, a lot of residents, I've talked to staff, I have researched the issue. Um, Recently, we in this new budget, we had to include an extra $1.5 million for the next five years for our infrastructure. We need to make sure our infrastructure is taken care of. And that has always been my concern when it comes to housing, is the infrastructure. Uh, this new project, it, it increases the number of houses. Uh, the workforce housing will... Most of it is, it, what they're saying, is going to be for uh, safety personnel. And uh, then there, there's going to be some kind of a hierarchy as to whether we look at city safety personnel first, uh, teachers, etc., people who work in, in Foster City. Uh, I believe that there's a way that we can help more than just what will be the 20, I believe it's 22 units, I think we can help more people by doing a different project. Okay. Well, you know, the environment has been my concern, too. Um, the infrastructure also is very something passionate for myself and probably passionate for most of the people that live on the peninsula. 
because the environmental impact reports that we have, I think, are, are a little bit outdated. Um, the infrastructure is fragile, and I know go, going across talking to the different uh, the different people in the um, um, in the different cities that they're all concerned about the infrastructure. But there seems to be a trend across, maybe even across the state, to build, to build, to build, to build mm-hmm. secondary units. But I think you're right. I think we have to be more sensitive or just as sensitive to the environment, too. We do, and, and I understand that there will be a new environmental impact report or, or at least an addendum to the one that has been done in the past for that project. So uh, we probably will have a traffic assessment, et cetera, uh, done on that project as well. But like I say, I mean, for, for instance, uh, I've had several people talk to me about there's, there are no smaller office spaces for rent in the in Foster City. And for people like me who practice at home, sometimes you'd like to have a conference room, you know, in order to have your uh, meetings. And so it's difficult for them to find a place to have meetings unless they want to go to the library or rent a room uh, in the rec center. Uh, th- so they've asked me, well, why couldn't we integrate that into that? You know, it was going to be a commercial space and then uh, houses or, or uh, townhouses in Saras Regis. Well, instead of making a huge commercial space, why couldn't they break it up into small offices that one or two attorneys could rent or other professions could rent out just for a, a meeting? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that kind of makes yeah. I think that kind of makes sense because I know we've had a challenge in Foster City with retail. I think mm-hmm. that's another right. alternative. Right. Myself, I also work out of my home too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I can share that sometimes I would need a conference room mm-hmm. um, or a more appropriate place to interview somebody too. Right. Um, so I and think that's a great idea. Somebody had a great idea the other day, just yesterday I was talking to somebody who suggested maybe put a daycare because mm-hmm. we lost our you know Foster City daycare when we lost Charter Square. So there's another opportunity I think to in order to help more people in that area because even though we, we call it affordable housing, but it's really just below market housing. So we're not helping, we're helping some people, but we're not helping as many people as we could, I think. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's the case. I know um, with talking with Senator Weiner, which was yesterday, and I was trying to quantify it because there's all over the board how many houses we really need in the state. Mm-hmm. And right. according to him, there's 3.5 million houses that are needed somewhere in the state. Now, whether that fits in workforce housing, below market, or subsidized housing, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think he was very clear on that either. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what they're saying is, is that we're building about 60000 mm-hmm. a year, which is another 40000 less than we need or, or, or thereabout. Um, I, think so. I think maybe what we could look at, too, is we need some out-of-the-box thinking when it comes to the housing and the transportation issue. Um, it's not, maybe not just building houses. Uh, maybe, I know that there's a lot of trend for these smaller houses that just have the basic necessities of what you need. Like there are some people living in mobile homes. Maybe there could be uh, somewhere that we could have some place that's a little more permanent for them to live in and, and, and help more people. You know, I think with most of the people that I've interviewed, they're all uh, somewhat on the same page as, as you are on that. Uh, and I want to throw something out that um, that I think is a good idea, and I'm hoping that Senator Weiner will do something about it, and I'm not sure that he, whether he will or won't. But when we had our last recession, I, I remember going to the Board of Supervisors 
and talking to them because they were thinking about liquidating some of the property um, because they needed money. Mm -hmm. Um, And as you know, the court system down here in San Mateo County now, they lease it from the state. Mm -hmm. So the state has taken it back. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the questions that I presented forward is is that there's several properties or quite a few properties in the state, whether the county, city or what, that are near corridor transportation or unincorporated areas that is surplus land and it's underutilized. Mm-hmm. With the cost of real estate predominantly cost being 50%, maybe 60% land, wouldn't it be a good idea if the state somehow or the county worked together to build more affordable housing um, in those corridor areas? And, and real affordable housing, mm-hmm. not just below market, because the Bay Area is a very unique place. Um, it, it's very, it is very difficult to find housing here. And we all know that. We know there's a, a housing issue. But I think that we need to get together and and find an out-of-the-box solution for the housing problem, not just uh, Sacramento dictating to the various cities about their arena obligations. Um, I recently talked to Senator Hill about that. And he's he's very he's very open to discussion on that. And I know there are a couple of arena bills that are, are coming up after the uh, summer session here that are going to be coming up in Sacramento. But it's difficult for a city like Foster City. We, we have met our arena obligations so far. But it's difficult for a city like Foster City, who's four square miles, to, to meet any more than what we have now. Well, you know, uh, recently I read an article about Caltran, and Caltran's got some 30 acres with surplus cars. Now, I don't know. I just read a small article. I'm wondering if Caltrans is really going to step up to the plate. They were talking about building some, whether it's workforce housing or affordable housing. That might be a mm-hmm. good idea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing when we were thinking outside of the box, and I, and I, I, I kind of laugh at people, and it's good to see that we give tax credits for contractors and developers that build near the corridor transportation. But I asked myself, why are we building two-car garages? And I asked myself, is there any studies showing building near those corridor transportation places that the people actually take public transportation? No, I th- and I think that's a really good question. Um, I haven't seen any reports on that either. I do know that in some of the areas in San Mateo, the buildings they're now having, if it's a, a high-rise apartment building, uh, there's only one space for a car. So they're trying to, that's what they're trying to do now is, is, minimize the cars by giving you only one space. I know Bay Meadows did a, um, one of their phases was just excellent. I was, you know, and and I understand how do you take that car away from somebody and how do you do that? But I think with cooperation with people that the message could get out and we could do a better job of that too. But we have to understand that we also have an aging um, demographic so it's not just the families, it's not just the young people moving in, it's the people who want to age in place. And maybe they're not old enough so that their car isn't taken away, but they need that car for transportation. Um, or they need a dependable senior bus uh, line in order to get them to their doctor's appointments, etc. cetera. Uh, so we have to look at the, all of the demographic, not just one demographic. And it... It's my, from what I have understood of the younger people who don't have families yet, but they work in Silicon Valley, they would rather be in an active area 
where they can go out and, and find a good restaurant to eat at. Um, and living in Foster City is probably not going to be very attractive to them. You know, I, I, that, that's a very important part. I know we, we, there always has been some kind of uh, dream here that we're going to have some kind of high-end restaurant that's going to come out and maybe someday <laughs> be on the water and mm -hmm. everybody's going to come out. But, you know, I, 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 it, that's a dream, I mm -hmm. think, a big dream. So, But you're right. You know, one thing that I wanted to, to, to talk about is I had an opportunity to interview Sam and also interview uh, Rick Bonilla. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the things that I would like to see when I walked around and met a few people over time in Foster City, and especially the young techie people, mm -hmm. one of their complaints uh, was is they couldn't get to the train fast enough in the morning. Mm -hmm. And I, my dream would love to see a commuter lane just for certain hours to see if that's going to get any of those people to the train. Um, they have a valid point mm -hmm. if it's going to take them 20 or 30 minutes to go from Hillsdale to the train station, I can understand their point. Oh, yeah, and I can understand that too. But to tell you the truth, I've, I come out in the mornings um, a lot, you know, on, during commute time, and I come back during commute time a lot. Uh, going out, I don't find too much traffic until after you cross the bridge there after Edgewater and you cross the bridge. And then it's backed up because people are trying to get on to 101. So you know, you could stay uh, in the left lane and go. It, it's it's been fine. I mean, there are there are days when it's backed up. There might be an accident or something. Uh, coming in, coming back in is where I see most of the problem. Is coming back into the city. Well, talking about the traffic situation, we're in Foster City, so we 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 are. Um, some of us feel ignored because of our east-west connection here. Mm -hmm. what, do you, what do you think um, um, might be some of your opinions of solutions to limit that? Because uh, um, obviously the bottlenecks that we have are Third Avenue, uh, Foster City Boulevard, Chess Boulevard. Is, is there a solution that you think should be up, up on the, the table? Because it, it, it seems with the plans that we have... Um, with the commuter lanes, the toll lanes, uh, doesn't, in my opinion, solve a problem. It may create some money. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, no, and, and I agree with you that. You know, fortunately or unfortunately, you can look at it as we have traffic in the Bay Area because the economy is good. People are working. The economy is good. So it, it's a regional problem that we've been trying to work on uh, but it's it's not being resolved, and I I agree with you that commuter lanes or the the managed lanes, the pay lanes where you you can pay to get on them, doesn't really resolve the problem. Uh, I've been I've driven down to San Jose sometimes or back from San Jose, and six eighty up going north. I, I've been all over and. Sometimes the commuter lanes are busier than the regular lanes. You end up getting into the regular lane because, you know, somebody might be going slow, mm -hmm. so they're backing up traffic. Uh, it, it just, it, it creates, uh, it does not create a solution to the problem. More roads, in my opinion, humble opinion, more roads don't create a solution. Uh, better management, maybe creates a solution or out-of-the-box thinking. Well, that, that kind of brings me to my next um, important thing. We, As I mentioned to you prior to talking to you and recording, 
Uh, we had an opportunity to interview uh, Dave Tanner, a council person uh, in Woodside, and um, he was excited about his monorail system, which we have the not the updated one on our website, uh, highwaysold.com. And his monorail system, um, which I think is going to be starting on the 380 connection uh, near the Tan Fran Shopping Center, which might be leveled. What's your opinion of something like that? Um, actually, I think that's the out-of-the-box out of thinking that we need. Not everybody wants to live in the Bay Area. You, uh, we have this, we, we make this assumption that people want to live here. Not everybody wants to live in the Bay Area and work where they live. So if you want to live out in Stockton because you've got a nice house, you have a nice life, it's just a pain to get back here, let's try to revitalize Stockton so that people can work there in Stockton. And the way to do it, if we have this train system, makes it easier to get back and forth, I think that's a great idea because if there is a way that we can revitalize these areas where people are living and they want to live, then let's do that. If there's a way we can do that, that's excellent. You know, this this um, we also had an opportunity to interview uh, Seamus Murphy, and I'm going to kind of ad lib because it mm -hmm. it was it was he was as busy as you were in order to get an interview, but it was well worth it um, to get an interview. If we look at it, that they're all fighting for the same tax dollar based on ridership, whether it's Bar Caltrain or uh, whether it's Sam Tram or whoever it may be, fighting for that money. We, we we seem to only brag in this area about a clipper card. Mm -hmm. um, and don't get me wrong, I think a clipper card is great. Mm -hmm. But it appears that we need to somehow integrate our transit system in a much more efficient way. Now, I know we don't like bureaucracy, but it, it, it seems when I've interviewed most of the mayors, I don't think I've had maybe, maybe one or two objected and I'm... I'm only at 17. There's a few mayors that, for some reason, I they're, they're just avoiding me. I, I have no idea. Maybe Catherine can tell them it's not a bad interview. Exactly. There yeah. you go. So do you think we need somewhat of a, a transit district um, that, that we don't have? We have a bag. Don't get me wrong. We, we, have, we, we, we talk about the warm, fuzzy feelings and the the problem with the infrastructure and we talk about the traffic and we talk about this, mm -hmm. but we don't see collectively that the district is really putting a plan together. Um, I'm not sure that that's the solution uh, because the transit districts that are there now don't seem to be working too well in my opinion. It's very difficult. I've talked to a lot of you know council members in the area And it's very difficult, from what I understand, to work with MTC, uh, to work with uh, Sam Trans. Uh, I, I'm not sure if we could get some representatives from each of those to get together in a different way than ABAG or CCAG or any of those other committees to form some kind of a new committee with people who are committed to looking at trying to organize our traffic system such that they are integrated and into maybe a more cohesive unit. Because uh, I, I empathize with people trying to get to Millbrae to take, you know, to take BART, because I rode BART for many, many years. Um, and I, I teach in the city, so I ride BART on a regular basis. And luckily, I am going non-commute time. Uh, 
But if you want to get to Millbrae, which just, it's like two or three exits down, it takes you a lot of time if you're in traffic, if you're doing commute time. So is there, a, is there a better way to get from Foster City to Millbrae? Is there some kind of a connection that we can make there to help people, to help people move? But I think trying to integrate those systems is going to be a challenge. Well, you know, I had an interesting conversation with Mayor Gina Pappen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's in Millbrae, and I'm glad yes. you brought Millbrae up, because she was very upset with the transit district, and especially Seamus Murphy's uh, thing. And her whole thing and it was about the BART situation, that mm-hmm. the BART doesn't go into the airport for except a couple times or two or three times. Mm-hmm. And, and I was just scratching my head. Well, anyway, we called Seamus on it when we interviewed him, and Gina was, I mean, she was just, you know, really upset at it. Mm-hmm. It appears now, and I don't know whether Seamus took it upon himself or Gina, that they're going to try to integrate that more to have a mm-hmm. better flow in and out. And you would think in that mm-hmm. hub location that getting to the airport is quite important, especially right. from San Francisco or the peninsula. So mm-hmm. I'm hoping that happens. But yeah. one of the things that Seamus talked about, and, I, and it was kind of surprising but not surprising, was Sam Tramp. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, Sam Tramps is for our disabled, our seniors, um, and poor. And, you know, you know, I'm, I guess I grew up with transit system, and I'm saying, well, okay. And, and then when you think about it, uh, you know, the Apple, Google, Facebook, uh, Genentech, kind of person's going to want to be in a beautiful bus with air conditioning and Wi-Fi and, mm-hmm. and, I, and I can't blame them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, do you think we, they should somehow, I know they're talking about revitalizing some of their, their busing systems, but I don't know. Is well, Sam Tram's going to survive? I don't, I don't know. It's, I, I know that it's a good thing that we have the company buses because they do take a lot of traffic off the road. I know a lot of people don't like the company buses. Can't, haven't quite figured out why, but a lot of people rag on them, I, I've heard. Um, but Sam Trans is, it, it, I mean, if, if that's who's riding it, then we need it. We, we need something for our elderly and something for the people who can't afford other means of transportation. So we need something. Um, I'm just wondering if we need more connections or better connections. Well, you know, I wanted to talk about, you know, I know where we have the Uber and we have the Lyft and I think now one thing that I saw in the news last night and it kind of scared me a little bit. I don't know if you caught it. Um, a police officer pulled over a, uh, a Lyft or Uber driver. I don't want to say which one. Mm -hmm. And uh, apparently the picture of the person was not the same. The, the person actually that was driving didn't have a driver's license oh. and was using somebody else's driver's license and that driver's license was expired. But what it came to alert is to alert the public to whoever you see that comes through the picture of that driver, make sure that matches. Make sure that picture of that driver matches. Mm-hmm. Not that we're going to have all kinds of problems, but I, mm-hmm. I thought that was kind of a unique way or an unfortunate way. Um, lucky that the police mm-hmm. officer pulled them over for running a stop sign. Mm-hmm. So for the people, I think the Lyft is doing a, um, a really good, I know I use Lyft when I, when I can. I don't like, if I have one drink or 
two drinks or what did they, I'm going to take a lift. I'm not going to. I, I was hit by a drunk on a head-on accident a number of years ago and cut out of the vehicle. So I greatly appreciate the opportunity to be around. Right. Um, and I don't want to do that to, to someone else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know... You know, we've been talking about being a public servant, and you know, you've done a a, a fairly good job uh, with working um, in Foster City. What are your What are your accomplishments that you you're you're proud of? I mean, you were lying a little bit about the uh, the different um, committees you're on. Why don't you talk about a couple of your committees? Mm-hmm. Um, well, first of all, I think my my voting record speaks to to what I am able to accomplish, or at least able to have, uh, to represent the voice of my constituents. Um, I'm not successful in a lot of those votes, but at least there's a different voice out there. Uh, I, I have been attending, because I'm an alternate on PCE, I have been attending a lot of the meetings when... Uh, Could you explain to the audience what that means? PCE's Peninsula Clean Energy, and as an alternate board member, whenever the board member can't attend a meeting, then I'm, I go for him. I represent him on the board. Uh, so whenever Councilmember Pollard has uh, another meeting or a conflict, I'll cover for him. I'll go to the board meetings. So I've been to quite a few now, and it's, it's such a worthwhile project. I mean, it, the... I don't think people understand exactly. Can you, can they, you explain the clean energy thing? Because I did interview Dave Pine. Dave Pine, and I go a long ways back with Dave. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he was one of the first people uh, when he came into town uh, and decided he was going to get into elective office. And I think he ran for assembly. And um, obviously at that time, you just don't run for the office. You kind of got to work your way up. But mm-hmm. Dave's mm-hmm. done an admirable job doing that too. So, kind of explain to the listeners this new clean energy thing, and, and you can see it in your PG&E bill. Yes, and there's been a lot of discussion about those not being able to be very readable. So, a lot of people think they're paying more when they're really not. But um, PG&E, I think, makes it difficult to uh, determine yeah, sure what do. you're what you're paying. Yeah. Uh, but if you if you really understand, and, and there's on the PCE website, there's actually a sample bill that you can look at to try to understand how to read your bill. But um, I myself have solar. Uh, I have had solar. We've had solar since we moved in about a year after we moved in because we had to have a new roof put on and we had new solar put on. So clean uh, Peninsula Clean Energy buys the energy from uh, wind sources. Uh, solar sources, uh, non-carbon sources. So we're looking at being carbon-free, and that is what affects the environment, is the carbon. Uh, We make sure that we have enough. It's all regulated. We make sure that we have enough uh, for the peak periods, enough energy for the peak periods, so we go and buy that energy from these various um, plants that are out there um, all over California. Some of them out of state, but we try to have them from California as much as we can. Um, So that is a way that we can help the environment and the greenhouse gas effect. Well, you know, the only confusing thing I had with it, um, and I'm not sure Dave answered it, and maybe Mm -hmm. you can't answer it. I don't want to put you on the spot, but it was just a question I was passionate about it. Mm And I know the PG&E has had a lot of controversy, especially everybody, um, uh, whether they caused the fires or assisted causing the mm-hmm. fires. 
And the money that goes for the clean energy, isn't that really still going into the PG&E and then uh, meaning their general operating expenses? And if there was another lawsuit, isn't isn't that money subject to being taken advantage, or is it, or is it or is it protected? Well, from what I understand, is P, we we get the energy from the clean sources. PG and E has a distribution system, so PG and E distributes that. Uh, it is it is up to them to take care of their lines. It's they have the distribution system, so it's up to PG and E to take care of the distribution system. So that's the way I understand it. Now, is that what Dave Pine said? Well, you know, <laughs> you know Dave is such a unique guy. You have to mm-hmm. listen to him real close mm-hmm. to, uh, to find out what he actually said because mm-hmm. he, he articulates quite well. And, he, and you know, and, uh, that's just who he is. Mm-hmm. And matter of fact, hopefully I'm going to be meeting with him in the next couple of days on a couple of things too. So mm-hmm. um, what else besides the other committees that you're, you, you, seem to, you seem to be uh, proud of? Like I said, I'm happy that you're on the council because... Um, you're, you're standing your ground, and you're standing your ground on good issues, but you also are willing to to work with the uh, the current council. Mm-hmm. If if you, if you had a, a wish or a special request or something that you would like to see how the council could flow better, how would that be? I mean, if you had a, a your wish, your a wish, wish list, a wish list. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, I guess my wish list would be that uh, they maybe would uh, listen and be more respectful of other people's opinions. Uh, People can have opinions. There's one council member who likes to say, uh, you have the right to your opinion, but not to the facts. Well, there are different facts for different situations, and you can emphasize different facts for different situations. That doesn't mean that they're not a fact, that they're not facts. Uh, so if you, if you respect people and you listen to them and say, I respectfully disagree, we'll agree to disagree. Yeah, I think that's, I think, and you know, the other thing, facts can be interpreted differently too. Um, just because my fact is my fact and I interpret it, your Mm -hmm. fact may be a different interpretation of it. And I have, I think that that needs to have respect. Well, there's also a, a, another thing that I'd like to mention is that um, I don't I don't think it's productive to be on the council and and have these um, shall we say disagreements. Uh, I mean, we need to have the disagreements in public, but you need to do it in a respectful manner and and not twist somebody's words to make it sound like they're doing something wrong. Or that they don't or understand. That they don't, don't understand. understand. Yeah, right. you know, it's, I think you that's need, not productive. Right. No, I I agree with you. You know, sometimes, and and of course, maybe I've sat on too many council meetings already in my lifetime here in Foster City. Um, you know, sometimes I just I scratch my head because I don't know who the mayor is sometimes, and and I I don't mean it condescending to to anybody in particular, but. Sometimes it's a theater show, and, and, and I, I would rather see it not be a theater show, um, and that people would would hold back their stuff. And I, I guess it's a challenge for some. Mm-hmm. Um, well, as I said earlier, one of the mayor's main jobs, responsibilities, is to control the meeting. And if it does get out of hand, 
then that person who is the mayor needs to control it. Yeah, no, I know I, I made a few comments myself. I figure the basic Robert's rules of order should be in right. place, and sometimes that just gets out of control exactly. with two or three of the members, and then we seem to get lost of uh, who said what mm -hmm. and whether we had a motion for a second and whether we even had discussion mm -hmm. or whether we just went moved on. So, no, I, I observed that a couple times. Mm -hmm. It was disappointing to me. Of course, I'm sitting out there in the audience kind of laughing a little bit, but um, mm -hmm. also feeling the pain for some of the council people that needed to have their voice heard mm -hmm. and something not completely railroaded through, too. Right. You know, we're honored with Podcast by the Bay to have an opportunity to interview you. Um, you. Is there any closing things that you'd like to say? Because we're almost just perfectly on time here. Oh, and, good. Okay. You know. <laughs> no, I just, I just want to say that I, I take my job very seriously. And my, my responsibility is to the people and Foster City. And I am, all my decisions are made with that in mind. And I do talk to a lot of people, go to a lot of meetings, and hear a lot of a lot of good information. And people have good ideas. You just have to listen to them. Well, you know, I want to share one more thing with podcast by the bait of the listeners. The very unique thing is that Catherine's husband's birthday is the same day as mine. <laughs> That's right. It is. And <laughs> Catherine and I were we ran against each other, yeah. and we ran a very clean race mm -hmm. and that's what it's all about public right. service is what it is it's, it's about using democracy to its best exactly thanks again Catherine with podcast by the bay we appreciate your dedication. thank you very much appreciate it
Oh, yeah. That was Midnight Train from yours truly playing at the St. James Gate. That was about 10 years ago. We were rocking on that one. It was a live recording playing Midnight Train. On that one, we had uh, the D-Blues himself playing the rhythm guitar. We also had, and you hear, you hear, you're hearing them locking it in there, right? That locking in rhythm. We had Tom Bowers on the bass, and we had Lee Thompson on the drums locking that rhythm section in super tight on that one. And that was a very fun show. Uh, That was from my friend's uh, uh, birthday celebration. So uh, anyways, if you enjoy that, keep on checking us out. And you can find out more about the Highway Soul music artists at the HighwaySoul.com page under the music artists. And uh, yeah, if you enjoy the show, please reach out to us, podcastbythebay at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash podcastbythebay. And also on Twitter, at podcastbythebay is our handle. And remember, you can listen to any of our shows 24 hours a day, seven days a week, on any podcast site. So there you have it, folks. Stay tuned. Thank you for listening to this episode of Podcast by the Bay. Podcast by the Bay is brought to you by Highway Soul Productions. Check us out at HighwaySoul.com and in conjunction with Liberty Realty. Liberty Realty, serving the peninsula and surrounding areas since 1986 for all your real estate needs. www.Liberty-RealtyInvestments.com Remember to subscribe and download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can contact Podcast by the Bay by their email at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. All material is property and copyrighted by Podcast by the Bay, but does not necessarily reflect the views of Podcast by the Bay. For sponsorship opportunities, please contact us by email at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. Stay tuned.